The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. So you heard that there was, there's um, about over 20 that are in the, the children's ministry area every Sunday, and, and um, it takes a lot of people to run this ministry, and Sheila, thanks so much for what you do, and uh, I'm sure that many of them will be resting better tonight now after this is over with, and grandparents and parents that are here, that's great. Our role at uh, the church here, White Ridge Baptist Church, we believe that our role is to come alongside of families, parents, and help them to nurture faith in their children. And so that's part of our role, and uh, we believe that that's what God has called us to do. So God bless you, children. Amen. The challenge, of course, is trying to bring together a Christmas program when they have them for like an hour a week and without taking up the entire curriculum in the fall. And that is a challenge, and they do a great job. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, this, we want to just take a little bit of time to look into God's Word as we are considering the Christmas season. And... Um, in a minute, we're going to be looking at a, chap- a passage in Matthew's Gospel, if you have your Bibles and want to turn to Matthew's Gospel. Let me begin by sharing with a, a story about the Chronicles of Narnia. I, I love this uh, whole series. C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, there's this incredible story where Mr. Beaver is uh, talking with the four children who have made their way into Narnia through the magical wardrobe. And the, the, he tells them about Aslan, who is a Christ figure, of course, in the Narnia series, and he tells them about how he's been so absent lately in Narnia, and the reason is because in his place, this white witch uh, with her venom has changed Narnia into a place where, here's the quote, it's always winter, but never Christmas. How bad is that, eh? How always winter, but never Christmas. And as the children are talking with Mr. Beaver about the longing for Aslan's return, he tells them of an ancient prophecy in Narnia. And he says that already rumors have surfaced that Aslan is on the move. And so filled with kind of excitement and hope, Mr. Beaver tells them of this prophecy. And this is how it goes in Narnia. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. I love those words. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. That's the hope that every Christian has. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ has this hope that when Jesus the Messiah returns, all will be made right. In fact, we see what Jesus was all about for those three years of ministry that he had on earth when he touched uh, lepers and healed them, when he healed the sick and the lame, when he preached the good news and shared of God's love. And as we focused our attention this Advent season on the least of these, those that are image bearers yet are suffering and struggling to enjoy all that God has given them, our goal is to make more room in our lives for them. Our goal is to go beyond the, the normal Christmas celebration of us four and no more. Our goal is to make more room and include people for whom Christmas is not necessarily a great time, a painful time in some ways. 
Now, there are many prophecies in the Scriptures, not just in Narnia, and the Scriptures have many prophecies about the birth of Jesus, prophecies that come from the Old Testament. And at the risk of turning today into a bit of a blue Christmas, there's one prophecy that always gets skipped in Advent Christmas celebrations, and I'm going to address it this morning. And it's found a prophecy from Jeremiah chapter 31, and it has to do a lot with children. But I'm going to ask you to read about this prophecy the way Matthew accounts for it in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading starting in verse 13. If you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to stand with me now and let's listen to God's Word. The context of this portion I'm about to read is that the wise men have come from the east and are very much interested in finding the king of the Jews whose star they have seen and followed. They end up going into Jerusalem and find King Herod, and Herod is quite insanely jealous that another king is in his kingdom. He says to the wise men that when they find this new king, baby king, that tell him because he wants to go and worship him as well. But of course, he's not interested in worshiping another king. And so we read in the scripture, verse 13, that when they had departed, behold, these are the wise men, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. And then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. And then was fulfilled the prophecy spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, She refused to be comforted because they are no more. May God bless his word. You may be seated. Almost 600 years before the time of Christ was when Jeremiah wrote these words. And as in many other prophecies, the prophecy had an original meaning in the time of Jeremiah, and it had a, a prophetic or future meaning which happened in the time of Jesus. In the time of Jeremiah, the Jewish mothers were about to face the grieving of lost children when the great empire of Babylon came up against Jerusalem and took many of their children and them into exile, killed many, but took others into exile. And the future prophetic prophecy was fulfilled at the time of Jesus when King Herod, in his insanity, went and sent a whole bunch of Roman soldiers into the little vicinity of sleepy Bethlehem to kill every child two years old and under. Rachel, of course, is mentioned. Though she lived even almost a thousand years before Jeremiah, she was married to Jacob. Now, Jacob, of course, his name was changed to Israel. Israel, the name means he struggles with God. Israel, the father Jacob, was the, child, the father of all Israel, of course, and And Rachel then sort of became the mother of all Israel. And so whenever the children of Israel were mentioned, Rachel is the representative mother. 
And at the time of Jesus, this fulfillment of this Jeremiah prophecy came about. In fact, <clears throat> I found a painting that depicts the way that a mother in Bethlehem might have felt in trying to hide her child from these soldiers. The fact that Jesus decided to place this story in his word alongside his own birth is interesting. It reminds us of the darker side of Christmas, not just wise men and shepherds and stars and angels and little baby Jesus in a manger. The whole story, really, is punctuated by this incredible tragedy, this grief that people could never forget at that time of the year. It serves to remind us today even that though many people enjoy Christmas, there are many for whom Christmas is grief, it's tragedy, it's sad memories. Some of you sitting here today, you know you've lost children. Or even you know someone else who has lost a child. And you know that Christmas is difficult. Matthew records this familiar story of the wise men following the star, the insanity of Herod. It says in verse 3 that, that when Herod was troubled, all Jerusalem was troubled with him. You see, when the insane Herod was troubled, you better be troubled because you didn't know how he was going to respond. And in fact, in verse 16, it says that when he was tricked, it says that he was furious. And that verb, that verb is, is in is a very strong word. First of all, it's a rage kind of fury, but it's in the passive voice, which means that this man, Herod, was not in control. The fury was in control. This was a man out of control, it says. In fact, the fury shows us that whatever this man was going to do next would be done in blind rage and poor judgment. Have you ever seen someone absolutely out of control because of their anger? Have you ever seen someone who allows an emotion to overcome them so much that they are no longer the ones in control? Herod ordered troops into the vicinity of Bethlehem, a, a village of three to 400 people, and we, they estimate that it was probably about 10 to 20 little boys under the age of two that were killed. Sometimes we see crazy things about hundreds or thousands. That's not true. It was probably 10 to 20, but it was a tragedy nonetheless. The Catholic Church calls this event the Massacre of the Innocents. And they celebrate it every December 28th in a special way. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church calls these little boys that died in the place of Jesus, where Jesus would later die in the place of them, calls these little ones the first martyrs of Christianity. Interesting. I have a medieval fresco of, of Rachel weeping for her children. And uh, when we think about this we realize that children are the ones that are so very often helpless. They're the ones that are in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
They're the ones that suffer often for no fault of their own. They are described alongside of others in the Bible as the defenseless, the, the helpless, the not able to stand up for themselves, the victims. Perhaps that's why Jesus had some of his most scathing warnings and denouncements against those who would cause one of these little ones of his to stumble. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 18. He said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have had a great millstone tied around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Very strong language. Jesus had a special place in his heart for any person that was in weak places, for any person that was helpless. Jesus reminds us of this in, in his whole word, the entire Bible. We are reminded of the orphan and the widow and the alien and the stranger and the persons who are in prison and the sick. Jesus has a special place in his heart for the poor, which is defined in a very different way than we often in the West define the poor. In fact, I remember when we were in Bolivia and we were studying some of the Latin American theologians, one of them from Peru, a Latin American theologian named Gustavo Gutierrez. And Gustavo Gutierrez was, 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 is known for identifying what he believes in Scripture is God's preferential option for the poor. And that offended a lot of people. It created this incredible theological dialogue. No, God cannot have favorites, people said. And yet over and over again, many liberation theologians, many people, we would not see eye to eye with completely in their theological realm. And yet in this area, we see they were calling out God's voice for somebody that was being overlooked. And they said, God has a preferential option for the poor. It's interesting how they define the poor. They define the poor in terms of not just lack of income or health care or food or water or shelter. These definitions, many pe people said, they do not go far enough. No, they needed to be defined more in terms of shame that comes with poverty or inferiority that comes with poverty or vulnerability or powerlessness or humiliation or isolation or marginalized or weakness. That's what was the conclusion of a United Nations study that was done of 60,000 people in this world that are considered poor. They defined poverty, the poor defined poverty in these adjectives, not in what they lacked materially. And if we are going to ever bring comfort to the poor of this earth, we must understand them, the world they live in, and not just think of them as some people that have less than we do. Children, of course, being so much part of this. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. And so there are the Herods of this life, let the little children run from me. And there's the Jesuses of this life. Let the little children come to me. It's interesting because when I think about poverty, when I think about these things and the way the poor define poverty, they so much align with the way children 
are. Children are weak. Children are vulnerable. Children are the ones that feel inferior and powerless. And therefore, any ministry that we have, whether it's to children or someone else that God's heart is preferred toward, perhaps, any ministry we give to, the, to these people must go beyond simply material things to reaching deeper into their real needs. Therefore, if we have a food bank and we want to minister to those, it's not just a distribution center for material goods. It's an opportunity to say, you were created in the image of God just like I was. It's an opportunity for our kindness to be displayed in offering friendship in the human community. It's an opportunity for us to say, you're not less because you have less. You're not inferior. You're not weak. You're just like I am. And you have a contribution to make. And if we offer English Conversation Circle, it's not just to give English lessons, it's to build friendship, it's to learn in global discipleship how we learn from each other how to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so over and over again, if we are going to bring comfort to God's people, then I believe we need to learn how to understand the poor, and especially the children. So on this Advent Sunday, as we think about how the children have led us in the ABCs, the most basic demonstration of the Christmas story, I want to encourage you to think about a child right now. Children or a child that you know. Might be in your neighborhood. Might be someone you, you see at school or work. Might be in your own family, a relative. And they're, they didn't get the same start in life like some children did. Or they don't have the same opportunities in life that you know a lot of our children have. I want you to actually bring into your mind right now this person, this little child. And I want, to, I want you to stand with me right now. Would you do that? Would you stand with me? And I want you to let me lead you in a prayer for this little child that uh, would lift up to God's throne several maybe hundred children this morning that for whom Christmas is not a happy event, for whom Christmas is a struggle. It might be that the person you're thinking of is a, is, it's a single-parent family. It might be that parents are separated. It might be marital problems existing now. It might be a sickness in the family that's hard to overcome. It might be mental illness. There might be some other kinds of problems. I want you to bring the child into your mind right now. Are you thinking of someone right now? Are you thinking of a child? And I'm going to ask you now to let me lead you in prayer for that child. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we all come to you, our Father, and we are so abundantly blessed as your children. God, you're the perfect Father. And uh, Lord, we, we think right now of the little children that are neighbors and friends and kids that we, we know or see regularly. And Lord, uh, we, we want to lift them up to you. They need a revelation of your love. They need to know that they're special. They need to know that they've been created in the image of God and that though this life has not yet dealt them good things, Lord God, that you love them and that they are precious to you 
And Lord, we would ask that if it's us or someone else, we would extend to them also this horizontal love that they would experience instead of uh, difficulty at this Christmas and grief and misery, but they would somehow find hope this Christmas through something that we can do. God, would you show us, even in the coming weeks, who those children might be if we can't think of any today. We pray, Father, for those that are helpless, that are victims, perhaps of violence, or perhaps live in refugee camps. God, we pray for the many children that we don't know, but we see them in our mind's eye. We lift them up to you. We thank you for the bounty we enjoy, for the blessing we enjoy, for the families we are born into, and for the human community and the faith community that we have. And God, we count it all joy to know you, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we believe, Lord God, that you came down to this earth. Jesus, you came down so that you would offer hope to the hopeless. And so we lift these children up to you. And we lift these families up to you. And we ask you to make us a blessing to them, even in the coming weeks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you. Have a great afternoon and day, and please stay around for some coffee after the service.